and welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm excited to be joined by Phil Pritchard. If you're like many, you're probably saying, Phil who? But that's the alias to Phil's more recognizable moniker of the Keeper of the Cup. Yes, Phil Pritchard is a Vice President of the Resource Center and Curator at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, Ontario, and back in 1994 was one of the original handlers of the NHL Stanley Cup. Along the way, he's added the white glove and blazer-clad treatment, and he's been touring with it regularly ever since. We were able to catch up with Phil recently, from the road of course, shortly after the NHL All-Star Game festivities, and learn about his story as a sports fan. Phil, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Hey, Doug, it's great to be here. You know, I mean, any given day throughout a year, there's always some sport event going on. And I'm a fan of a bunch of them, so I'm thrilled to be talking with you today. Yeah, very kind of you to do this, uh, partner. I, I really appreciate it, and I know you're a busy fellow, so we'll be um, mindful of the time. But let's dive right into it. And if you could, just take us back to one of your earliest recollections of being a sports fan. Wow. Uh, I'm old, Doug, so that goes back a long way. But you know what? My my family, I'm British, actually, but from northern England. So my uh, my mom and dad weren't really into hockey, but we grew up on a a dead end street or cul de sac, you might call it now. And all the kids on our street were all the same age, and we all played road hockey. It was after school, it was on weekends, it was in the summer, it didn't matter when. So we all played road hockey. That was kind of my introduction to hockey. And I remember on a Sunday night once. My dad let me stay up and listen on the radio. The Montreal Canadiens played the Boston Bruins on the radio. And that was, I kind of knew who the players were through newspapers and things like that. But listening to a hockey game, I, I think I was in. And then fortunately, he got some tickets to go to a few Leaf games. I'm in Toronto area. And it kind of grew from there. So, I mean, that was a long time ago now, but. For me, hockey started on the road and on the radio. Tell me about that experience listening to the game on the radio. I don't know what experience you had, whether it be through perhaps, you know, trading cards or newspapers or what have you to see the images of these of these players. But what was that experience like as a youngster to listen to the action on the radio? Were you painting pictures in your head the entire time? Well, the description by the play-by-play guy or the color guy now, which I didn't really get what the play-by-play guy or the color guy was then, but I do know now and I certainly appreciate it now, they would describe the whole game for you from uh, net to net or from uh, bench to bench or wherever they might be calling from, and it it would come to life to you. I, I was a collector of hockey cards. And I guess by default, working at the Hockey Hall of Fame, I kind of still am today. <laughs> so I, I still collect them that way. But to hear the names called, and I remember then when uh, when Montreal played Boston, like Bobby Orr was playing for the Bruins and Phil Esposito, Ken Dryden was on the Montreal Canadiens. He had just started. Uh, Yvonne Cornway was there. There were some big name guys, but to be able to sit there and listen on, it was AM at the time. To listen to it, it 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 was great. And you know what the funny thing is, Doug? Here's all these years later, 
I would still rather listen to a game on the radio than watch it on TV. I, I, you mentioned about the imagination and these guys coming to life through the paintings in your head and that. I still love that. And not only in hockey, but in baseball too, listening to a ball game, the announcer, the announcers calling the plays and how many strikes and balls there are. I mean, to me that you use your imagination and creativity. And I, I sense in this world, we don't use it as much anymore because everything's social media and everything is visual to use your brain and imagine something. It's, it's hard to uh, get better than that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you and I are probably of a similar vintage and, and I, I tend to agree. I, I, as I've said on this program several times in the past, I love, um, putting on a game on the West coast because I'm in the Eastern time zone and whether it be baseball or hockey or basketball, or even, you know, a Monday night football game or what have you, something that's on later and falling asleep to the announcers, you know, just talking about the action. It's just something to it that is relaxing and and it's it's my form of white noise i suppose yeah yeah i mean you're right i, I love the term you use vintage there i uh i think if i was in an, an antique shop i would be a vintage piece of material as well <laughs> but it, it's so neat to he, hear you say that exactly how i'm feeling just like when you listen to the music on the radio or on an album or or whatever it might be you imagine the band or the person singing in that and that's the same way that sports gets for you too and i guess that's why the whole area of it all is all called the entertainment because in our minds or visually or hearing it's it's all entertaining us yeah it really is um so so we've got you into the uh sounds like the early 70s um enjoying <laughs> enjoying hockey at this point uh does it does it branch off from there or are you pretty um, monogamous with hockey for a long time before you perhaps discover some other things? Well, you know what? I, I, uh, like I said, I played road hockey all the time and, and I'm talking all the time. I, I think I was 16, 17 when I stopped playing regularly, I was playing ice hockey by then too. I was also a goalie in soccer and I was a running back in football. And I think I sadly I was a much better soccer and football player than I was an ice hockey player, but my road hockey skills are pretty good. But I would be one of those kids that would play any sport. I mean, didn't matter what it was—baseball, tennis, whatever—we we'd play all the time. And again, that's our certain vintage. We were outside all the time. Our parents would make us go outside, and you'd have to play. So you'd use your imagination and come up with these games and that. But for me, hockey was. That was the one I, I collected the hockey cards. I kept stats on uh, on players and everything. I had the scrapbooks and everything. I collected pennants and everything. And it's it's odd now when I look back to it, but who would have thought years later I'm going to be the curator at the Hockey Hall of Fame and they actually pay me to collect this stuff now, which is which is kind of cool in a way. I, I don't know if I was if I wasn't working in hockey, would I still be collecting cards? I, I don't know, but I do it still, and I love I love every day of it. Yeah, well, let's let's um, transition, or as um, I I think um, Ross Geller said on Friends in that one episode, let's pivot here and um, and and <laughs> yeah, talk that's about going up the stairs. They were pivoting, going up the stairs with the couch. Exactly. But let's <laughs> let's let's talk about this whole curator at the Hockey Hall of Fame. 
how did that come to be? Um, were you actively looking for a job at the Hall of Fame or did, did it just kind of happen? I, I'm, I'm curious well, about how, you know how one does this. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you it's a direct story. I actually went to college and graduated with an accounting degree. And I remember after I was finished and, you know, I did well in it and I'm good with math and everything, but I, I came home and I, I told my dad, I, I said, oh, there's no way I can do this for a living. How, like, how does someone do this for a living? And I think in a roundabout way, he said, well, you're an idiot. You love sports. Why wouldn't you do something in sports? <laughs> and he said it obviously in a nicer way. And it clicked and I thought, well, I'm going to go back to school and get into a sports uh, sports administration slash management program. And there was one outside of Toronto in uh, Oshawa, Ontario. Uh, Oshawa General's junior A team plays there. Bobby Orr played junior there. Mm-hmm. Lots of guys graduated through there. But I went to Durham College there. And I, I did the sports administration program. The funny thing is, I, I thought I had studied everything about it and learned about the course. But what I didn't know was there an in, there was an internship on a co-op program with it. And I am there in class, and they're talking about this internship thing, and I, I had no idea about it, which really doesn't say a lot about my, my brain capacity because I should have known about it. But I was fortunate, and I guess, and I go back to my hockey card collecting and all of that stuff and loving hockey, my internship was at the Ontario Hockey League, the head office. And, you know, internships back then, you – you learn and you learn and you work and you work and you get paid. If you get paid anything, it's hardly anything, but you learn and you make contacts and, and it kind of grew from there. And I loved, I loved the experience at the Ontario hockey league. Our funny thing about that year is our college teachers went on strike that year. And I went to my boss at the Ontario hockey league and, and said, Hey, my, uh, my teachers are all on strike. We don't have school. I'd love to come in every day. And he kind of proudly said to me, Mr. Pritchard, we'd love to have you every day, but we're not paying you a cent more than we are right now. And I said, okay, deal. We shook hands and I came in every day. And it, I guess the internship, hard work, trying to get out there kind of paid off because a couple of years later, I was at the Canadian Hockey League. And then two years after that, I'm at the Hockey Hall of Fame. And doing something that I've loved doing the whole time since the OHL days, the CHL days, and now the the Hockey Hall of Fame days. And, it, you know, and uh, we're giving guidance to students and that. I would recommend an internship co-op program every day, all day. I should know this, but I don't because I'm an American and we're so provincial and don't know anything. But where is the headquarters for the OHL? Uh, the OHL, when I worked there, it was in Toronto, and it's now in Markham, which okay. is uh, just outside of Toronto. So it was, then, it was in the general vicinity where I, I grew up in Burlington, Ontario, which is outside of Toronto, about 30 miles uh, kind of southwest of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, so I would go in every day and, you know, and at a in the hockey world or in the sports world, they play at night and on weekends. So your nights and weekends are chewed up by work and that. And I use the word chewed up probably not right there because 
you're thrilled to be part of it. You're thrilled to be part of the whole fan, the sports family. Yeah. How, how about the Canadian Hockey League? I, I am not familiar with that, I suppose. So what is that all about? So that, that governs the three junior A leagues in Canada. So it's a governing body for the Ontario Hockey League, the Western Hockey League, and the QMJHL, which is the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Yep. So the Canadian Hockey League is, governs all three of those leagues. Uh, in junior hockey, you play for the Memorial Cup, which is Canada's Mm-hmm. kind of junior a national trophy that's run by the canadian hockey league i think there's 50 55 or 56 teams now in the canadian hockey league there might be more uh so it, it's kind of a overall governing arm of the three leagues so i still work closely with the ontario hockey league but it kind of branched out a bit further and kind of opened my mind or opened my eyes more to this great game of hockey. Sure, sure. And um, at the uh, at the CHL, is that also located in the same in in the, in the Toronto uh, area? It is. Yeah, that's in Toronto as well. Okay. So for me, I was I was close to home always. I I was a a commuter then, and I'm still a commuter now. And anyone that has to commute, they it's not a fun world of travel. But the great thing about what I do is I love getting up in the morning, and I'm sure you do too, Doug. So it's not really you're not really traveling; you're going to somewhere you love. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always best to be able to wake up in the morning. The alternative is is not favorable, right? Um, Correct. Yeah. yeah. And and you know what? To get up in the morning and get on the train or drive in the car and listen to the uh, the sports radio or or read the sports section in a paper if you're on the train. And that's part of your day-to-day life and it's part of your job. How do, how do you beat having a smile on your face like that? Yep. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. So you end up at the, at the hockey hall of fame and, you know, most of us will recognize you as the, the keeper of the cup. I think that's even your, your handle on Twitter or X or whatever the flavor of the day is over there. Um, yeah. How does that come to be how do you end up being the the white gloved um you know guardian of this um, you know this trophy that everybody covets so much well it's it's amazing because you i i'm at the ohl i'm at the chl i get the opportunity to come to the hockey hall of fame and that was in that was in september 1988 my first week on the job was just after the 88 summer olympics and i'm in the Hockey Hall of Fame, starting my kind of my career. And the fourth day on the job, our boss calls us all in and kind of gives us an update on what's coming up and says the Stanley Cup has to go to Newmarket, Ontario on Friday night. Newmarket's about, you know, 40, 60 miles north of Toronto. And he says, who wants to go? And nobody puts up their hand. Like, and I'm not sure if it's a put your your hand thing or say something, but <laughs> nobody acknowledges it. And I'm I'm four days into the job. I'm barely lucky to even know the my boss there and everyone yet. So I said, Mr. Morrison, I I'll be thrilled to go. And Jeff Denemia, one of my coworkers, said, I'll go with him too. So we went up and you know, I had a hatchback car. We put it in the back of the hatchback and we drove up, did this event. Get in Monday, and I guess 
all went well. They phoned back and said everything was great. They did a great job. Phil was personable. He knew his hockey. So he came to me and said, do you want to go to Dallas next week for a minor, a junior hockey tournament, kids hockey tournament? So the next week, here I am two weeks in the job and I'm going to Dallas, Texas. They don't even have a National Hockey League team at the time, but they had a great uh, minor hockey system there. And I went to the Big D Dallas shootout. And it kind of just, I'm going to use the word snowball, Doug. It just kind of snowballed from there. But there was no white gloves at that time or anything. We, at the Hockey Hall of Fame, we, we kind of knew and respected all our artifacts. We wore the white gloves within the museum because that's what curatorial staff does. It wasn't until 93, 94 that the white gloves kind of came be from behind the museum into the forefront. And we had convinced the league and the board of governors that let's treat the Stanley Cup like it should be a one of a kind, greatest trophy in sport, oldest trophy in sport. And let's preserve all of that history. And in essence, I guess, Doug, we were not that we knew this at the time. We were kind of selling ourselves into a job that would become a tradition almost instantly. And I don't think anyone realized that then. We we wore the matching jackets and ties. We had the white gloves on. We had the red carpet. And it came from behind the scenes almost overnight to this trophy is the greatest thing in sport and it should be treated that way. That's, that's amazing. Um, simply amazing that um, it kind of just started on a whim and yeah, I day four on the job. I, I have a similar recollection that I will not bore either you or the listeners with from my time at, at the college newspaper at Eastern Michigan university. When I found myself on a bus with a women's volleyball team to Athens, Ohio, like three days on campus, it was just surreal that that happened. I, I even had to call my parents for a, an emergency suitcase delivery because I didn't have anything. Um, but yeah, crazy that it started there and it's now become this. And it sounds like it's been, you know, darn near 30, what, 36 years or so, huh? Yeah, 36 years. But I mean, and Doug, yours is very similar to mine. And when we do uh, school visits and that, and they ask us about things, I always tell them that you, there's a lot of forks in the road. I mean, pick and choose where you're going, but do not close any door because the door opens and who knows what happens. Yeah. I mean, I'm, all for, a, I'm all for saying yes. Hey, yeah. I can help you. I'll be happy to help you in this way. It created a tradition and apparently I have to have white gloves on all the time. If someone sees me in white gloves. They don't know what's going on. Um, I, I was going to ask, I mean, you bring up a great, a great, what if, but you know, had you not raised the hand or said, yeah, Mr. Morrison, I'll do it. Um, have you ever given that any thought as to what your tra life trajectory might've looked like after that? Well, you know what? I, I think back to when I'm 15, 16, playing road hockey, collecting cards and all that, loved it, wanted to win the Stanley cup, just like a lot of kids did, but what have I had thought? then what I think know now that I would have carried the Stanley Cup maybe as much as anyone else in the world but I've never won it that that would have been part of my job description not a chance 
Uh, when I got to the Hockey Hall of Fame, I was thrilled because I knew what the museum was and I knew what it could be. And I wanted to be a part of that and kind of work with all the teams and all the leagues around the world and, and preserve hockey history. This game now is played in 96 countries around the world. And to have an opportunity to reach out and collect jerseys or sticks or what, what have you to display, I was thrilled then. And being the curator, I'm still thrilled with that, that the keeper of the cup thing is, I, I don't want to downplay it. it. It's amazing, but it's kind of like a bonus in there. I, I would have been mm -hmm. thrilled looking after the artifacts and I still am thrilled, but being the, getting the chance to go out on the road with a cup and then hearing people's stories and sharing my stories, it's, it's one of those win-wins and in my life anyway, and hopefully in the hockey world thinks the same way of me. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it does. Um, I, I, you've referenced a few times your, your actual role is as a curator at the, at the hockey hall of fame. Um, what, if you could first for any of our listeners who have never been, what are some items or artifacts that are perhaps currently out there and, and available for viewing that you highly recommend that folks get to? And then my next question will be, if you wanted to think in advance of this one, you know, one of, or a couple of the artifacts that you have been able to perhaps um, obtain in your role that you're really proud of, of having in Toronto now at the, at the hall of fame. Okay. Well, I, I mean, uh, a few things, it's kind of a little selling point for the hockey hall of fame for a second. Yeah. It's 85,000 square feet of hockey history. We cover all leagues, all levels worldwide, uh, male, female, Paralympic, what have you. If it's hockey, we try and preserve it. We try and preserve the game, the history. We try and promote it. And it's all there for the, the guests experience to come and see and to come and witness as a museum. And whether it's Cooperstown or Canton, Ohio, football, I mean, it's, it's a huge part of the overall operation is the display hall. And, and I'm very proud to be on the curatorial team and, and look after all of that and reaching out to teams and players and that and getting artifacts, whether it's the, we have a Stanley Cup ring from 1893 that one of the players got and his daughter donated it to us uh, in the early 90s. And it looks like a man's wedding band. See sports championship rings now, they're, they're huge <laughs> and they've got all these diamonds and logos on it at the time. It was very simple, but it said 1893 Stanley Cup champion on it. And to me, that's, that's one of our best artifacts. Uh, with regards to what am I proud of out there, I, I'm a big goalie mask guy. I love the story of the goalie mask. It's, it's only 60 years old, the goalie mask. Goalies never used to wear a mask. And the evolution of what the goalie mask has gone from to. So I'm, I'm always proud to be able to add a goalie mask to our collection. Uh, we have them from when Jacques Plant first started in 1959 with them all the way up to today. Uh, we got masks from Vegas last year when they won the Stanley Cup. We have ECHL masks, AHL masks, college masks, NCAA, all of them. And I, I'm really proud of that collection because it's, it's like artwork. So it's a 
the goalie kind of comes to life there with his mask. Mm-hmm. But for me, my I think my favorite pieces that get donated are when they just come out of the blue. We don't know anything about it. Someone just comes over to the museum and says, I'll give you an example. My dad, my dad played hockey and we have his jersey. We don't know what to do with it, but we think it would belong here at the Hockey Hall of Fame. I I really take pride in that because then I, I think we've really done our job on promoting the preservation of the game of hockey and, and promoting what the game means. And that people are out there and see that and they take the time to come and bring this item and that we they want us to store it for, for them and preserve it, conserve it, put it on display. I think that's what makes me the proudest as a curator, as people put trust with their greatest artifact in our hands. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty powerful stuff. I I I did want to ask: Is it have you run into to items that you would like to acquire, or maybe have on a wish list that, for whatever reason, either the actual athlete themselves or the family members of the athlete um, are unwilling to part with or, or don't care to loan to the to the hall? And is that discouraging or, or is it understandable because of that familiar connection to the um, item? Well, uh, you know what? It, it's amazing. And, and, and probably any sports museum will tell you the same thing right now. We're, we're, we're competing against the mighty dollar. I mean, the collector's market in the world now these days, because of social media and eBay and Amazon and things like that, there, there's, they're very lucrative to uh, invest in that kind of thing. Our our mandate at the Hockey Hall of Fame is not about the the dollar value or the how lucrative it is. It's about preserving what we feel is one of the most important parts of sport, and that's the history of it. So for us, I'm not discouraged that they want to sell it and get as much money as they can. We always think as long as it's being preserved out there somehow, whether it's at the Hockey Hall of Fame or in somebody's basement or in somebody's bar, at least we know it's being preserved. And if we can help them with an education on, you know, make sure that jersey's put, don't nail it into the wall or, or what have you, or don't don't attach it to something that might damage it. If we can help educate on that, then at least the the artifacts is still out there and it's not thrown out or, or some or some story like that yeah that's a great point um it's uh I, it's it's kind of great timing on that question doug because the nhl all-star game was uh this past weekend in toronto mm-hmm. and i we were fortunate to be at it we had a great display at it i mean the the city of toronto did a great job mother nature it was sunny every day like everything went great and going down to the dressing room after the game to talk to players and explain to them what they're doing. It's, it's very rewarding for us to go talk to a guy and and they'll donate something to us. I was talking to Tom Wilson who plays for the Washington Capitals. Great guy, known him for a few years now, but I'd asked him about it and he said, you know what? I don't, He's very modest, and he said, I don't know how many all-star games I get to play in. Is it okay if I keep it for my collection? And I thought, what a great answer, Tom. Like, that's that's why you're a great guy, because 
he's he doesn't know if he's going to play in an all-star game again and maybe he will maybe he won't but he wants to preserve it at his house so said no problem that's that's awesome to hear and it it shows that he cares about the game and i and i like that yeah that is a um that's a fantastic answer um, and I'm, I've just became a fan of Tom Wilson, even though he plays for the Capitals and I'm a wings guy. So, um, <laughs> you know, one, one of the best guys you ever want to meet, like he is such a good guy. Oh, that's terrific. Um, so I've got two more things for you. I think maybe a third, if, if we're really feeling Ginchy, um, okay. the, the, um, I, I know that the hall of fame had not always been in its current location. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I've, I've been able to visit twice and both times I, I've come away with the fact that you utilize that. I, I believe it's a bank safe, a vault basically, um, to right. house some of the most, you know, precious trophies and whatnot in the sport. Um, how did that come to be? And, and, and just tell us that a little bit about that, if you could. Well, the, I mean, the Hockey Hall of Fame now is in downtown Toronto, right downtown at the corner of Young and Front Street, kind of kitty corner to Scotiabank Arena where the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors play uh, across from Union Station, the main train station in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we, we weren't always there. Prior to 1993, we used to be at the Canadian National Exhibition, which used to be where the Blue Jays would play and the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League played at the NFL has exhibition games there. Mm-hmm. So in 93, we moved. We went from a 7,500-square-foot facility to, to an 85,000-square-foot, basically overnight. And it was unbelievable. But I, And I remember being part of that whole move and that I was in year five or six then or something, and we're prepping for it for a few years but we took over as you mentioned an old bank building and at the time it was the oldest bank building in north america it's a historical site uh when we got the building the safe was still operational the vault was up all everything was great and it it just seemed right that there's a bank vault to put a story of the stanley cup in there because it it means so much and has so much relevance, but at the same time, it's so revered, it should be in a vault. And it just kind of, it all kind of fit naturally. And for, for people that haven't been, it, it's, it's pretty amazing to go into that vault and see the story and see the trophies on display in the great hall there. And then go down the stairs and walk into replica dressing rooms and locker rooms and all of that, and I, I, I think as a staff, and I'm speaking on behalf of all our staff, we're pretty proud of the, the way it looks in there. And hey, it's uh, Canada's national sport, and it's kind of our gift to the world. And I guess that, and beer, and maybe fudge, and I don't know. I don't know what else we get for. Yeah, don't 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 forget the poutine now. Come on. Yeah, and well, of course, and poutine. <laughs> yeah. um, but no i was i mean both of my visits i was just struck by you know the symbolism and everything else that goes with it and having those trophies in there and and you know as i've noted i'm an american so going to cooperstown is like walking on hallowed ground for me and certainly i would think the visit to to your place there in in, in toronto is the same way for for canadians and 
it's just very well done and 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 the reverence with which you treat it is is similar to going into the plaque gallery i feel in in, in cooperstown so good on you all for how that came to be and and, and just doing it the right way yeah and hey i mean cooperstown is is unbelievable it's the it's the granddaddy of every sports museum in the world and it, we'd be lying if we didn't say we didn't talk to cooperstown to get what was good what was bad what we could work on we spoke with uh the people at the Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta. We spoke mm-hmm. with obviously Canton and for football. We spoke to a lot of different museums and we shared ideas. And hey, the ideas are out there to be shared and, and let's all work together on whether it's preserving sport or building computers or whatever. The more people, the more heads thinking in the same way, the better every product will be. So we take all our staffs proud, but a lot of other museums played a big role in, in what we are. And hopefully we can pass on the uh, our knowledge we've learned to other museums and other halls of fames as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to share any tales out of turn because that would just be inappropriate. But, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, just memorable places that you've been able to accompany the cup to, what is on your your short list of of places that maybe you didn't ever think that you would get to in your lifetime or just places that you stood there and said, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe this is actually happening? Well, I, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll share a couple and then I'll tell you a quick story to way to end it. How's that? Sounds great. We, we've been to over 30 countries with the Stanley Cup now. We've traveled once below the equator to Australia into the summit, southern hemisphere Uh in the fall of 2023, the NHL opened uh, exhibition games there with the uh, Los Angeles Kings and the Arizona Coyotes. So we took the Stanley Cup down there to see the response in that. And it, it was overwhelming how great it was. Uh, my daughter lives down in Australia. So on a personal note, it gave me a chance to go see her too. So I was thrilled already going. But uh-huh. the amount of hockey fans there were unbelievable. Uh, we've taken it on the Great Wall of China. I always a cool place anything that is uh, one of the natural wonders of the world to get to go to it's highly recommended on my list did i ever think i was going to get there not really but did i ever think i was going to get there with the stanley cup never never even crossed my mind but sitting outside of beijing on the great wall of china with the stanley cup in my arms it was, it was pretty cool but one quick player story though uh-huh. philip grubauer the washington capitals German descent. He wins the Stanley Cup and he wants to bring it home to his hometown in the, the Bavarian Mountains just outside of Munich. So while we're there, he wants to go up to the highest mountain in Bavaria for a tra- traditional German meal, which, as anyone knows in Germany, you're going to get beer out of that deal. So we had a meal up there. We climbed up the mountain, which is a story in itself, with the Stanley Cup. We had a meal up there, which was beer and a traditional German meal. And on the way down, I don't know if it was the silver from the Stanley Cup or maybe I was making noises, but a herd of cows ran over to us. And we were we're on a mountain and about 10 cows run towards us. And apparently they could smell the beer or something. So we fill up. Like a good cup winner, he lets people drink out of it. So he let a cow drink out of it too. And they licked the inside of the bowl clean. 
and then we were good. But to say I was going to stand on a mountain in Bavaria with a bunch of cows and a Stanley Cup champion, that's the farthest thing from my man, Doug. Wow. Um, I, 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 we can't talk that one. That is, um, a fabulous way to, <laughs> a, a fabulous way to end this. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to hear about cows drinking from the cup. So I guess there's still hope for me, maybe at some point I've, I've got a chance is what you're saying. Well, Hey, I'm hoping that chance we're in Michigan. One day we run into one another at an event or a cup event and we get a photo together. I will keep my eyes open for it. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks, Doug. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of The Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.